This is the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheiman, brought to you by Ends Group Insurance. Ends Group is ensuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. All right, it is that time once again. Midlife Mail Podcast. Greg Scheinman here. Thank you so much for joining me today and every week or whenever you are listening to the podcast at home, at the gym, in your car, even for just a few minutes. When you got a little time, I want to hear some stories from some great human beings doing some great things out there, living life, learning, experiencing, succeeding, failing, falling down, getting up, making things happen. It's fun stuff. We need to do more. Talking, communicating, opening up to one another, being supportive, learning, evolving, combining our personal passions with our professional expertise, matching up with the right people. That's what this is all about. Joining me today, my friend Joe DiStefano, Wellness for the Modern Human. So Joe and I have gotten friendly now. Um, I, I really like this guy. I saw Joe working out with my friend Seamus Mullen, former Midlife Male podcast guest, incredible chef, amazing author of Real Food Heals, cyclist, co-host of the Goop Fellas podcast with Dr. Will Cole, who I also hope to have on the show soon. Super guy. So I see Seamus out in California because he relocated from, from New York out to California. Smart guy. And he's swinging giant kettlebells around in the front yard of this dude's house. And I'm like, what the flock is this all about? Who's this guy? What are they doing? This looks like fun. They're on the assault bike. They're writing some things down. The sun is shining. I'm like, this is a good looking day. This looks like a good, this looks like a good morning. I'd like to do this. Um, so I did. <laughs> I gave Seamus a call, said I'm coming out to California. Can I meet you guys? And what's also just great is they didn't have to say yes. Neither one of these super successful, connected, popular, influential guys had to stop and say yes. Take time out of their life or their schedule or their routine to invite me over and say it's okay to join them. Get in their little game of fun. But they did. And I'm grateful for that. And I really appreciate that. And I try to pay that stuff forward each and every day. So thank you guys for, for that. It, it means a lot. And since that day, I have had the pleasure and privilege um, to join Joe at his house a couple more times. Brought over another good guy, Matt Malonix, 
from Huron, the skincare product company. He was on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago. Matt joined us to throw down a little bit. Having another good time, connecting good people. So, you know, keep that in mind when you get the opportunities to say yes or to say no. What I'm finding out is that the best people out there that I enjoy spending my time with and want to be around are super, super giving. They are wonderfully gracious and humble and grateful. And they are inviting and supportive. So I'm doing my best to embrace as much of that into my own world as possible. It's a little tough for me. A little different for me. But I'm working on it. So Joe's on the show today. He is an international speaker. He is a fitness expert, an entrepreneur, and a lifestyle coach. During his eight years as head of sport and training at Spartan Race, you know you've heard of it. A bunch of you out there have probably done those races. Super cool. He worked full-time with professional endurance athletes and taught seminars all over the world. He is the founder of Runga, an experiential lifestyle brand empowering individuals through highly effective and sustainable practices that fuel health, wellness, and performance. If you follow him on Instagram, you'll see a lot of what I'm talking about here. His Instagram feed is awesome. I watch his stories every day. His talks and teachings focus on ingraining profound mindset shifts, giving audiences the courage and the tools to align their actions with their objectives throughout daily life. It's great stuff. And while a lot of the industry is focused on the sweaty and sore scale, I know I was for a long time, and have really kind of transitioned out of being in pain and working myself into the ground and overtraining and too much volume. Joe takes a different approach and he looks at the health and happiness scale as a measure of success with his clients. And that's what I've really connected with. And I think it's made a big difference for me. And I think it's making a big difference for a lot of guys out there, particularly as we are getting a little bit older, entering or or entrenched in this next phase of our lives, and we're focusing a lot on sustainability and longevity. So let's get after it with my man, Joe DiStefano, on the Midlife Mail podcast today. Joe, thank you so much for joining me, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me, Greg. Um, it's been a little while, but I still think I'm recovering from the 10-minute fan bike assault at your house uh, yeah. a couple months back. Yeah, no, I, I love that test, you know, Greg. The, uh, you know, there's a lot of fitness evaluations, and I talk a lot about health and fitness and wellness and, and how we really got to look at all these different things that we strive for differently from each other because they're not all the same thing. But when we talk about fitness, my personal favorite way to test that is the 10-minute test on a fan bike. And, you know, whether it's an Airdyne or an assault bike, as long as you use the same bike every time you do the test, you can kind of watch your progress. But it's this perfect blend of mind and body. Uh, you did the test. It's, it's as mentally challenging as it is physically. 
no, no doubt was quite the indoctrination. Um, and I appreciate you having me over. Want to shout out to Seamus Moen, our mutual friend who connected us, and you guys were kind enough to have me over for uh, a, a great workout session outside in the sun in California with a couple of studs. I, I really appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, no, great. That was a great day. And, you know, the workout we put you through, though, is, you know, it's funny because it's like, you know, a lot of people, I love these workouts that are about sustainability. So we did, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like two minutes straight of push-ups. And, you know, you're not supposed to rest, right? So it's just like knockout push-ups for two straight minutes. And then, you know, I think there was like a carry involved, like carry these two bells, don't put them down for two minutes. And then we did three or four or five rounds of it. So these time domains and, and the nature of the exercise is like the, the movements have to be easy enough that you can sustain them. Uh, and then there's a couple of rounds, so you really got to kind of pace yourself at the same time and try to hit the same mark every round. And so that kind of workout, you know, I love bringing people over. People are stopping by our house of Venice all the time. It's turning into a members-only club over here and obviously happy to have you. But, but then you got to do the workout that I pick. And so, you know, that's, that's the risk is that sometimes they make you do these supper fests that, you know, they're not that five minute AMRAP, they're that 60 minute, <laughs> that 60 minute slow drip that just uh, drives people bonkers. Yeah, but I, it, it's a great point. You know, what I wanted to touch on with you also, though, and I love this, um, what you had articulated that, you know, while the industry is focused on the sweaty and sore scale, you look at the health and happiness scale as a measure of success. And I love that. How did you arrive? How did you arrive at that kind of methodology, you know, in that opinion? Yeah, Greg. And I mean, let's be serious. I was not happy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, so many of us, whether we're on the couch or, you know, whatever our situation might be, we think that getting fit is the solution to our problems, right? And, you know, in this dichotomous sort of uh, world we live in, it's like, you know, if we're not on the couch, we're training for a triathlon. If we're not on the couch, we're doing CrossFit as many times a week as we can get there. And so there's really this this sort of, um, you know, there's there's person one that kind of strives towards that future that never arrives and gets on the hamster wheel and just stays there and, and kind of like, you know, loses some of that introspection. Like, what am I doing here? Why am I doing Am I on the right path? Uh, and then, you know, there's folks that arrive at that destination. Maybe the goal was like lose 30 pounds and, you know, and, and let's talk in other realms of our lives. It's this like maximization versus optimization issue, right? So, you know, uh, the kind of person that, you know, maybe they want to reach a certain level of financial success and by the time they achieve it, they've ruined their life. You know, they're, X, Y, Z, maybe their kids don't talk to them or, you know, whatever the case may be. And there's this massive issue where we strive for a goal, whether it's fitness or something else. And when we get there, we're not that happy with the result or we are not happy with anything, right? We, we become, we begin to identify with that goal because it's kind of that one thing. It's that one paddle. It's that one, you know, floating piece of, piece of wood in the sea of openness. And, and what I try to teach people is, like, find to grab onto things that float sometimes and, you know, cling. But ultimately, eventually, you're going to have to swim. And so getting used to that, kind of heading down that road of this, of this dancing or swimming analogy, or analogies I like to use, 
all of a sudden you arrive at things, your perspective might change, but you might find yourself a lot happier when you get there. And you might realize that you were chasing the wrong dream and you were actually chasing wellness and you thought hardcore exercise was the path because you associated fitness with wellness, but they're actually very different things. Yep. With all of that, how do you approach balance or, or helping your clients or people achieve balance if there is such a thing that may struggle with kind of what their goals are? Uh, and I was actually having this conversation with a buddy of mine just yesterday that I'm feeling much, much better by doing less and focusing more on sustainability and longevity but while my body is overall feeling better and I'm feeling better, not the constant pain and soreness, mentally I'm struggling with feeling a little weaker or feeling a little softer because I'm no longer in that kind of pain and sore like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I pummeled myself, so I must be the strongest I've ever been. If that makes right. sense. Yeah, and I think, you know, this kind of ties into this idea of cumulative stress load. And, you know, you mentioned my podcast, and that's why it's called Stack, because I help people kind of step back from their stack of this culmination of life and, and kind of both redirect or, or at least kind of get laser-focused and understanding exactly where we're headed, you know, what path are we on. And, and when, when we think about balance, you know, and, and in my own life kind of shifting from uh, over the last decade or so working with a lot of, you know, professional runners and then people that make their living – off their bodies into a world of coaching lawyers and executives, et cetera, it's remarkable how similar 50 miles a week is to 50 hours a week. And what I mean by that is when we look at an athlete, let's say they're a professional runner because because I've got the most experience in that area, and they want to get stronger. And they say, you know, I'm going to start going to the gym and I'm going to do deadlifts and I'm going to do, I'm going to get pumped up and I'm going to do this. But they try to maintain that running, right? They can't recover from that. So, you know, our recovery is a bank account. And happiness, wellness, is when the bank account is balanced. It's really hard to be happy when you're spending twice as much as you're putting in the bank, right? And mm -hmm. so... When we, whether we're running 50 miles a week or we're working 50 hours a week, we have to appreciate the load on the system and exercise appropriately. And, and when we look at this stuff, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a, a green powder that maybe we take all the time or these adaptogens uh, or if it's, if it's exercise, if it's cold showers, if it's sauna. So all of these things, these sort of uh, hormetic stresses we apply to our, bo our body, at the end of the day, they're still stress. So if you spent two hours in the 200-degree sauna, that's not going to be therapeutic anymore. And if you spent 17 minutes in the ice bath, that you stopped getting benefits at three minutes. So there's this, there's this sort of step back, understand the players, uh, understand where I want to go, and kind of do everything responsibly. And the last thing I'll say, Greg, is that Ultimately, you know, what happens when we shut our eyes is the, is the sort of, um, that's what's calibrating us. And, you know, Einstein, I think, you know, I'm going to butcher his quote, but that's all right. But his, his, his quote was, you know, the most important question we can ask ourselves is, is the universe a happy place or a benign place, right? 
So when we think about that question, when we close our eyes, we automatically get the answer. Are we a half full? Are we a half empty? Are we an optimist? Are we a pessimist? And, you know, it's kind of that the one you feed type approach. And, and mm-hmm. so what I want to do is when you're in balance, when you shut your eyes, you're kind of happy. You're kind of content. You're not feeling like I wish I was over there. Uh, and I don't mean this in necessarily like the quiet mind meditative sense of the word, but like if we really are true with ourselves, when we close our eyes, what do we feel? And if it's a more positive thing, then we're probably cultivating some decent chi. But if we're fearful or anxious, then the balance, the bank account is not balanced. And so that's kind of an easy way to calibrate. But uh, I guess one more kind of thing is it's extremely common that when I start working with somebody that I cut their exercise by sometimes 100%. Uh, because I just think we're we're addicts and we're abusing this thing. And, and worst of all, we've, we've intimately tied diet and exercise together, which I think is a massive mistake. I don't think uh, there's any real correlation there. I think we need to look at food and exercise much in the same way and, and not as compensatory mechanisms for each other. And so if it means cut all exercise while we get your diet squared away, then that's what we got to do. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess that's I guess that's balanced, though, man. So if you do like, let's just say you are advising somebody to cut exercise. I guess in the same manner that you could also advise somebody that's not exercising to exercise some. Uh, what do you also think about you know in, in this addiction? What do you replace that activity or that time with that was allocated so heavily, even to their detriment, in one direction? Because, you know, again, I just speaking personally, wrestling with that too. Today is an off day for me. You know, I'm forcing myself to recover today in a way. Um, And it's challenging because in a way, mentally, I want to go do something physical. But I don't want to put my body through it because I don't think it's the right thing to do. What is the the replacement or how do you work with people on saying, how are we going to occupy this time mentally um, so that you're also stimulated and, again, geared towards wellness and or happiness. 100%, Greg. And, and I think that there's there's kind of two pieces of this. Is Number one is a lot of the people I work with, they don't have time to exercise anyway. And so when they do, there's a lot of shame and guilt around it because they think they're doing it again as this kind of compensatory piece, right? And so giving them that time back, I think for me, um, you know, there's this foundation that needs to be built. And, and, you know, maybe we'll get into kind of our relationship with oxygen, which is really at the, at the core of what I do. But ultimately, when we start getting in touch with our why, let's say we have that, that hour a day that we've got kind of allocated to this purpose, we're going to work on those foundations. And now when I say I cut exercise 100%, what I mean is I might cut hard exercise 100%. I think we gotta, you know, we got to work in as much as we work out. I've said for a long time, you know, exercise is the gas station, not the racetrack. When you leave, you should feel like you just filled your tank that you, and you didn't, you didn't deplete it, right? And so when we think about some of the deficits and when we look at exercise, so much exercise is done, what, inside, indoors, uh, on, a, on a man-made floor with, with really boisterous music playing or, you know, it's very unnatural, right? And so the first thing, Greg, is like, we got to get these folks back to nature. And so if it's an hour of walking in the sunlight, my guess is they're going to feel better. 
uh, when you were here, we did kettlebell swings on my front lawn because I think that connection to nature is – sorry, there's a huge plane going over my house right now. Um, can you hear me well? Yep, I got okay, you. Okay, so there's, you know, this connection with nature, and that's really my first aim, my first priority is how do I get them with that hour in touch with nature. So, again, you might do some breath work. You might do a mobility routine. There might be some kind of working in. There almost always is because I think we're this, you know, we're this big water balloon ultimately, right? You know, our body is 70% water. That thing's got to move. And, I, you know, I use 10,000 steps as this sort of like, you know, anchoring point is you got to earn the right to exercise hard. And you got to earn the right by walking 10,000 steps a day. And so if you're not exercising suddenly and we look at your data on your activity tracker and you took 19 steps today, then, you know, there's a big deficit there we got to fill. And so in some ways I'll position it as we got to earn the right to exercise. And, you know, the greater the disparity between the demands of your life and the demands of your exercise, the more stressful that exercise is going to be. So in other words, if someone's sits for eight hours a day and then goes to the gym and does some heavy deadlifts, I would rate that activity as very high risk. But if they did that exact same workout after walking six miles, then I'd say the activity is probably relatively moderate low risk because at least the joints are being nourished and hydrated. At least the pain-tension relationships have been kind of nurtured. Uh, But when it's you know, let's kind of adapt to this chair for eight hours and then do the exact opposite, move through a heavy range of motion, I find that to be a very high-risk activity. So there's this education piece. Uh, there's replacing it with more healthy activities, walking, number one, breathing, number two, and then there's this, like, connection with nature. How do we get you outside? How do we get you into the sunlight? Can I get you barefoot into some grass and connect to the earth? And... Um, yeah, those are, the, those are the kind of priorities. And then I guess the last thing would be, you know, how do we use that hour to to improve your your sort of diet? And when I say diet, I mean anything that goes in, right? So diet is our food, of course, but diet's also, you know, the five people we spend the most time with. Diet is the thoughts that happen. So if I replace a hard workout with an hour of free writing or mm-hmm. a uh, or a, you know, coffee with a friend that you haven't seen in a while – or hell, time with your wife or significant other, I mean, that is, that's probably better for your system than any workout. Yeah, such such great stuff. As I just sit here listening to you, I'm kind of going through this checklist in my mind about adaptations that I have tried to make, and can I associate everything you're saying with things that I'm feeling or activities that I'm taking on or things that I've even removed, because it's such valuable insight and it really is so spot on Uh, I've tried over time to do more myself outside it's amazing what getting outside actually does for you and you get into this rut sometimes of training as you said indoors or getting into even these classes where the lights are down and the room is dark and music is and it's the exact opposite of being in nature as you were talking about um and I do, I, now that you talk about kind of the stressors or if you're sitting at your desk or in your office and then you go right into that type of environment, how it could compound it. So I just think it's it's really spot on and and great stuff. Let me ask you, as, as you spell on all of these things, I want to ask you about your background also. Uh, how did 
you get your start and your passion for this industry and evolve into where you are. Yeah. You know, Greg, so it's been, it's been quite a journey. I'll tell you, you know, and uh, I, you know, uh, depends how back you want to go. But um, so I grew up in a, uh, let me just tell you, I grew up in a health conscious household. So, um, you know, eighties and nineties and, you know, low fat, low, like the low fat craze, but you know, my mom, my sister, you know, my dad was really obsessed with water. My my mother and my sister were really obsessed with, you know, uh, the food pyramid at the time, which was all we had. And I, I will not go down that rabbit hole. But let's just say, you know, I've been looking at food labels since I was probably seven or eight years old. And um, I had a really interesting experience in my mid-teens where I was uh, alone with my dad and he had a, had a heart attack. And um, I didn't even have my driver's license, but... You know, I drove him to the hospital and, you know, a million miles an hour. And uh, it was this really traumatic thing. And, you know, he was a, he was, he was a guy that was, uh, you know, very, you know, stuck in his ways. And, you know, an ambulance, even, even as he's having a heart attack, the neighbors can't see an ambulance at our house. So, uh, you know, I drove him to the hospital and uh, he insisted he was going to be fine. But I was, you know, seeing evidence for the contrary. But here's the deal, right, is my family was on a food pyramid approach and when he had a heart attack, he survived that one. Uh, the doc said, Hey, Jer, you know, you can kiss the steak and eggs goodbye. And I was in my mid teens, but I said, what the hell if, you know, if, if steak and eggs cause heart attacks, then how the hell would my dad have one? Because we're not even allowed to eat those things. I can't even have peanut butter you know, because it's got too much fat in it. So I had this kind of like vicious, um, you know, attitude towards food from a very young age. And, you know, let's be serious. I, I, you know, didn't think much more of it at that point. I said that out loud, maybe kind of half jokingly because the food pyramid was gospel at the time. And, uh, but then I decided when I was in college and, you know, I, I went to college and I was pretty undeclared. I had no idea what I wanted to do, but my mom was, was not going to allow me to not go to college. So I was undeclared, but ended up meeting a guy that uh, named Dr. Jeff Godin, who uh, put me on a path towards exercise and, and really kind of getting obsessed with what my body could do. Uh, you know, our first exchange together was, you know, he was preparing to run a hundred mile event and mm-hmm. I thought you died at 26.2 miles. Right. So I thought a marathon was as long as the body could go. And, and when he pushed himself, what he said, you know, I'm about to run a hundred miles. I thought he was full of shit, man. I was like, you got to be out of your mind. That's not even a thing. You must be driving halfway. Well, when he did it, I was like, you know what? If you can run 100 miles and I'm half your age and I, I'm healthy, I'm going to go run a marathon next week. So I had, him and I kind of had this fun thing, and I ended up transferring into exercise physiology as a major and uh, started personal training when I was 19 years old. And, um, yeah, kind of the rest of history kind of fell in love. But but here's the backstory in reality is I was that guy running 70 miles a week and working full time and, you know, doing all these things. And a little bit about my past is, you know, I played a lot of sports growing up, took a lot of baseballs off the face, knocked my teeth out, fell on my bike. Uh, my, my worst injury was a fractured skull and traumatic brain injury. Mm. So when I hit my mid twenties, I was, uh, I wasn't doing too hot, man. I, all this post-concussion stuff started to accumulate. I started having a lot of issues. Couldn't walk in a straight line. 
docs were saying, you know, you know, you, you know, you and Michael J. Fox are peas in a pod and, you know, your kind of future is looking a little bit, um, you know, looking a little, uh, grim. So that kind of, you know, first of all, you kind of like let that settle in. And, you know, that was a couple of years that, you know, I, I look back on and, you know, it was a very challenging time, but thankfully I kind of bounced out of the conventional medicine circles and found some guys and docs that were very supportive, um, and kind of worked my way back and, and working my way back started with belief and started with mindfulness and meditation and breathing and journaling and yoga and working in and realizing that, you know, the harder I work out, and this is where the cumulative stress load stacked hypothesis came from is like, how come I feel better and my neurological symptoms reduce when I don't exercise and all I do is walk. And, um, that was kind of the beginning. And uh, as I started to kind of go down this rabbit hole, I started to realize this gift of, you know, having this brain problem, having these issues that I have, things affect me just like they affect everybody else, but I'm about 100 times more sensitive. And so if I don't exercise, my, my body starts to actually collapse. And if I don't move enough, my body, I can't think straight. So I realized that, you know, the harm that, you know, unnutritious foods or unhealthy foods or sugars or alcohol or gluten or all these different things that we avoid with me, I get, I get the value or I have the gift of being hypersensitive to all that because my cumulative stress load, I don't have those degrees of freedom having all this post-concussion stuff going on that a lot of, a lot of healthy people have. And so that allows me to experience these things and, uh, and communicate to you or whoever's listening uh, before, you know, they culminate in your body, um, hopefully, or at least help you kind of disseminate what's going on here and, and where we need to put our eggs. And so, again, I, I stopped exercising in uh, 2007. I did a, a half Ironman, and um, the next day sold my bike, and I, I have not been on a road bike since. I, was, I had never been so just sick and not physically healthy, not emotionally healthy. And, um, so I gave it all up. And then about three years later after, you know, I kind of started to get back into high intensity interval training a little bit. Um, and then that's, you know, I got a phone call saying this lunatic up in Vermont is going to put on this, this race where we're going to be throwing spears and, you know, running through the woods, like, you know, (laughs) like, like warriors. And, uh, it was only going to be 5k and I hadn't run a race in, in three years or more. So, I um, I, jo- I jumped on that opportunity, had the time of my life, and realized that back when I was running 70 miles a week, and I said I loved the runner's high, and I was in it for that, and I, I loved this sport, and I loved the long stuff, and that was a bunch of bullshit, man. I, was, I, I had the fuel belt on. I'm drinking this one every 15 minutes. I'm drinking this one every 30 minutes. My heart rate's beeping at me every time I run too hard or run too soft. Like, that is a stressful scenario, man. So I, I got obsessed with, you know, I'm not going to do any self-quantification. I want to run this race. I'm going to keep my mouth closed and try to get through it. And I felt reborn at the end. And while still kind of balancing, uh, you know, the demands and not exercising too hard, got got really obsessed with obstacle racing and uh, spent the next eight years there and, you know, kind of managed the sport of Spartan race and the mm-hmm. pro team and the training I taught. God knows how many workshops around the world where personal trainers could come learn how to, how to train for the event. But, uh, that was kind of the journey. And, um, the one thing throughout, so I started 
when that company really hockey stick, uh, I was on a plane every other week or, or every week. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Newark to uh, Miami. It was, uh, it was Boston to Barcelona, Boston mm-hmm. to Sydney, Boston to California. Um, and I just, I burned myself out completely. And, and that's when I started to really need to get, I took, I let the, I let things go too far. I didn't appreciate that cumulative stress load and I actually started to go backwards. And so in 20, maybe 2013 or 14, I, I took my first time off the grid and that's what's now evolved into our, our Runga, our Runga brand and mission. So now I'm hundred percent Runga and we're helping people have these immersive experiences where we empower this more uh, feminine, you know, kind of energy, I guess you could say, because I think that hyper-masculine bravado um, that is that is present through many of our, you know, many of our influencers. I mean, when we look at folks that are, that are preaching the value of hard work and, you know, if you don't feel like going to the gym today, you're, you know, you're weak and, you know, we always need to, you know, do this and do that and work harder. It's like, that's actually the recipe to destruction. That's not the recipe mm-hmm. for health. And so uh, increasingly I started to explore this more mindful side of myself and I found it harder and harder to stay immersed in the more hyper-masculine culture um, that I believe is, is often a facade. So, um, yeah, it's a great point. And uh, so here we are. And um, the crazy thing is, Greg, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, pass you the ball back. Sorry, I kept it so long. But <laughs> the funny thing is, I will tell you what, man, I am stronger than I have ever been in my entire life. And I used to train 1,000 times harder. And I would take my body today over my body when I was 23 years old. I'll be 35 next year. Um, I, and, and it's because ultimately your body, your strength, let's be serious. The body wants the body that you want. You know, no, no man's body wants to be fat. No man's body wants to feel weak. No man's body doesn't want to feel satisfied with itself. But that's a hormonal system. So if the exercise we're doing to achieve that body creates a negative hormonal cascade, you're just getting farther from it, brother. So what we got to do is is reboot, let those hormones kind of come back online and allow the body and believe in the body and don't try to conquer the body and and, and feed it like a plant. Like I don't mm-hmm. I don't really have many. I mean, we got a lot of plants, but I don't do my own care for them. But if I did, I would say I'm going to probably water that thing every single day a little bit. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll uh, water it twice a day, but I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to dump five gallons of water on this little plant three days a week at 6 a.m. That's not the approach. So when you came over, that was probably one of my harder workouts of the week as we do when there's guests in town. But in truth, throughout the day, man, I probably do three to six, 10 to 15 minute workouts where a lot of them might be body weight. It might just be Turkish get-ups with a shoe on my arm, uh, shoe balance on my fist. It might be might be that 10-minute fan bite test. It's whatever my body wants. And um, when you when you listen to the body and you don't try to conquer the body, slowly but surely it wants harder and harder and harder exercise. But um, but there's a lot there's a lot more to the story. So my my real mission now is to help guys feel or fuel their intuition and um, and, and let it carry them. And, and so far, the, the success rate has been pretty high. 
Yeah, I, I love the way you carry the ball. I'm going to keep it as for as short a time as, as possible uh, because the the beauty of this is having you having you on the show to talk to everybody and just keep putting out these these gems right here. I do want to ask you though about relationships. You know, and you mentioned what your mission is now and the conversations that that I have and one of the visions even with the midwife mail podcast and I put myself at 40, 46, 47 right now is to try to help guys navigate middle age and live a better quality of life. And when you talk about the transition from Spartan to what you're doing now with Runga, the way you trained before to the way you live now, uh, you know, what I find is a challenge for you know, a lot of guys are, are in their routine or they have their friendships or their relationships through their job or their career or the sport that they are playing, whether it be golf or whether it be Spartan races. And when you try to change or even you realize you need to change for yourself, there's a fear because you're giving up a lot too, potentially. Like, I don't know if I have any, I don't have any friends that do yoga. You know, I've been playing golf or doing nothing, or I've been living in my office for 50 hours, you know, (laughs) a week. Right. Um, How have you, I guess my question for you is, Kind of, how did you experience that for yourself? And maybe some advice or tips you would give guys out there that need to—they know they need to do something, but they're but they're scared and fearful because they've done it before, and their whole community and and I guess identity is wrapped up in something else. Yeah, man, and, and this gets into you know number one is mindfulness, and you know I think you know what I said earlier, you know what happens when you close your eyes is is your answer. And if it's not the answer you want, then we gotta we gotta do things to kind of support a better answer. So I think that you know mindfulness is key, and I think that when we really kind of dive into ourselves, like what makes us tick, and you know if we look right, 1970, and these are ballpark. I haven't looked at these figures in a while, but let's just take the marathon as an example. 1975, 50 people crossed the finish line of the New York City Marathon. Right? My guess is they were almost all men, and they were probably almost all long and lean. Right? Last year, almost 60,000 people crossed the finish line of the New York City Marathon, and it was probably 50-50 males and females, tall, long, lean, fat, brown, short, middle, muscular. Right? So marketing, public obsession with health, public, public opinion of health is dictating a lot of our, quote, intuition right now. Right? So I think that number one is, you know, really get in touch. And I'll ask people, like, what sports did you love as a kid? You know, what made you tick? Did you draw a lot? You know, because I think a lot of times we're chasing other people's dreams. And so when you do that, you'll never feel optimally secure. Or if you're real, you know, if ultimately you're running because you think it burns a lot of calories and you think you're overweight and you think that that's correlated, like, you might lose more weight failing than you will running. Because ultimately we got to get your heart healthy. Okay. Um, now the other piece, you know, I think that in many ways there are so there are high barriers. I mean, I live in LA, and you know, I've told the story a few times on a few different podcasts. For the first time, I took a Kundalini yoga class, and uh, you know, Amelia wasn't there, and you know, she had said, "Hey, go to this class." And you know, I walk in, I'm the only one without a turban, I'm the only one not wearing white, I'm the only, almost the only guy, and I'm probably the only one under 45 years old at the time. 
So there was this huge barrier to entry. And so I think that a lot of people, you know, that's the end of the road for them. And so I think, but, but when we're in touch with our, our purpose or our connection, and we really kind of want to give credence to what's here, you know, we, we, we have more courage in those jumps, right? We're not, as, we're not as self-conscious. And I guess, you know, as it relates to something like Runga at our immersion, where it's an extremely safe environment. It's an extremely safe environment. And you know what's so funny is a lot of times we'll get these big, bulky guys that spend hours and hours a day in the gym, but in their hearts, in this safe space, they actually want to spend more time on the yoga mat than they do with the kettlebell. And so I think uh, mission, purpose, mindfulness, spending enough time alone, spending enough time quiet, doing some free writing, thinking about what's made us tick throughout our entire life, life and, and really knowing what, you know, our why is. And I think, like, as it relates to relationships, um, you know, as they say, like, happy wife, happy life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's true. But I think we've really got to be in touch with our why in that case. So, in other words, if you think about it, so I think when we look at our, our life's purpose, and let's say my purpose, my purpose ultimately right now is to make Amelia's life uh, as, as happy and comfortable as it can possibly be. She's, you know, I don't know when this is going to air, but Amelia's pregnant right now, and we haven't told many people that, so hopefully it's not tomorrow. But um, just found <laughs> Congratulations. Mine hey, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we're pregnant with our, our first baby. And, you know, it's for me, it's, you know, my life right now is how do I create a scenario at home that is going to allow her to produce the healthiest baby possible? And, and how do I make sure that she is her best self every single day? And how do I accept that I am actually not the most important person in this, in this scenario? However, I also realize and respect the, the yin and yang. And the better I make her existence, that energy is going to come back to me. And I think this is a piece that might tie more into faith. And I mean that maybe in a little bit of a spiritual sense, but not a religious sense. I think that faith in the universe. Einstein's question, is the universe a happy place, right? And if we go into our lives with that sort of ethos behind us, that's the energy that's going to come back to me. That's the energy that I'm going to create for myself. And if I'm out of alignment, if I'm running a marathon because someone else said it's healthy or it's around shame over my body image, then ultimately you're never going to be happy. In fact, it's going to be another one of those maximization strategies that has an unintended consequence. So as it relates to relationships, if I'm training for a marathon because it's someone else's objective and I got to take five to seven, maybe 10 to 12 hours a week to train for that thing, my life, my happiness, my health might improve. If I take two of those hours and spend them cooking with my wife at home or bringing her breakfast in bed instead of taking that extra long run this morning or doing something to my kids or I don't know, whatever, book your wife a massage therapy appointment instead of going yourself. But I think there's this, like, when we're out of alignment, I think we activate fight or flight. And when we activate fight or flight, we become selfish because all I care about is number one. And that's the danger of a maximization strategy. So I think stepping back, getting mindful, aligning with our purpose, and, you know, almost every guy listening, if they're married or any serious relationship or they have kids, you know, the easy one is to say, like, my purpose is my kids. And, and I don't think that that's unusual. I think that's often where you're going to land. 
but really get in touch with it. Like, really get in touch with it. Like, why? Like, why? And what are you going to do about it, more importantly? So when it starts to carry into your decisions on a daily basis, and it might tie into the way you nourish your own body, you know, if I'm having a baby, it looks like i got to live forever because I don't even know what college is going to be like in 18 years. <laughs> so, you know, there's this, like, there's this, there's this trickle over when our purpose is I got to be the strongest guy I can be because you know what? My wife's going to need me and I might have to, you know, be there in an extreme scenario. Now I go to the gym with a newfound purpose and guess what? If I risk getting injured in the gym, that's now conflicting with my purpose. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden the energy I'm taking into my exercise, you know, I want to be here. You know, one of my purposes is I want to be here for my kids. I want to coach their team. I want to play baseball with my kids. They're, until they don't want me to play with them anymore. And that was something, you know, my dad had all sorts of injuries because, you know, like I told you about my childhood, well, I took after him. He had so many injuries as a kid, he couldn't play baseball with me when I was a kid. And it drove, you know, really made, it hurts me now. And so if he wasn't, you know, putting his body on the line, like I put my body on the line and, and you know, going, blowing a gasket every day, he went to the gym, then guess what? Maybe he could have thrown me a few more balls. And when we think about longevity, happiness, health, What's more important? Is it is it playing baseball with your kid or is it, you know, having having chiseled pecs, you know? And so all of a sudden when we have a newfound purpose, we take that into everything we do. And, it, and, and these decisions, we're not dieting. We're eating in a way that's going to support me in my journey. And so all of a sudden there's no deprivation. There's no – we're all in alignment. We're all moving in the same direction. The flow is there. And you know what? Whether it's, you know, you might even, you know, it's so funny at my last job, I had everything. I had the entire world. Believe me, when I left that job, I got a lot of like, what? Like, let me get this straight. You get paid well. You travel the world. You hang out with athletes. You, you've got a billion views on YouTube, whatever. Like, and you're going to quit? Like, what are you going to do? And it's, I don't know. I'm going to meander with purpose. I want to see if this Runga thing takes shape. But I'm not going to touch it. I'm just going to kind of let it grow and see what happens. People thought I was, you know, John Lennon quitting the Beatles. And, um, but ultimately I knew that there was a cost of saying, but I didn't know the gain of leaving. Right. And I knew the cost of saying was, you know, in my soul. And I, I'm a big believer in the energy we put out. Right. So the energy I'm tossing at you, Greg, is coming right back to me. And that's why it's so easy. But when the energy isn't coming back to you or you're out of alignment, uh, you can overwork. And I, and the last thing I'll say is back to the bank account analogy. If you're out of alignment, the more things cost. So right now, I'm doing what I love. I have a podcast. I speak. I have a run the brand. I've got an amazing team. I can work 12 to 14 hours a day if I wanted to and never get tired. But that's because I'm doing 100% of things I love to do, and I've, I've gotten rid of the rest. Yep. If you're out of alignment, working eight hours a day can be a real bear. And so what you've got to realize is, are you going to get off the merry-go-round? Or maybe, maybe you might be cool with mid-level. So this was another thing I, I conflicted myself with. It's funny. I remember, I remember a bunch of years ago, I hired myself a boss at, at my former company because I knew I was making enough to be comfortable. I was making where I had some quote work-life balance. I was traveling. The last thing I wanted to do was get paid more to sit in the office 50 hours a week, right? So no, I'm cool because right now, you know, call it 50 hours a week for this much money. I don't want more money that, makes those 50 hours more painful and is more likely to become 70 hours. That would kill mm -hmm. me. I'll stay where I am. Let's hire me a boss. And so 
when you're when you're when you're kind of taking strides towards that higher self or alignment, you can make those decisions, right? If your relationship is priority one, then you might not take the promotion if you're good, right? Does that make sense? No, it, it listen, it makes it makes perfect sense. Um and I'm effectively in a business also where it's largely based upon self motivation. In a way, there's no ceiling, if you will. You kinda eat what you kill, but to find passion in it and go after and work with people that you want to and companies that you want to, um, it's, it, it connects with me deeply because how much is enough also in, in there um, and developing that culture where we all have different, different goals, or I guess are different measures of success. I think you make a really, really great point. Um, I try very hard to live true to the principles that I have in terms of the businesses and the types of people and the kind of lifestyle I try to lead. And to your point, I think that costs me some money overall. Uh, But I'm not purely financially driven either. The job that I have, a career that I have, also allows me to do amazing things all over the place, uh, including – get out to California and spend weeks at a time and be able to wake up, work out outside, still function well for my clients and, and my friendships and relationships, but also not live to work by sitting at my desk on the 25th floor for 10 hours every day in their too. Right. And I think right. everybody is, is very different there. And I can appreciate, not like you can't too, all different aspects of it, but you develop make a better understanding of who you are as you experience different things. I probably would not have known this five, ten years ago. I had my own businesses in the past. I like being a part of something where I can focus on what I really enjoy doing and not be involved in a lot of the things that I'm either not good at or not that interested in or would take so much bandwidth that it would cost me dearly in other areas of my life. Exactly, Greg. And and that's maximization versus optimization, right? It's like if our purpose is our kids and our wives, then to take the promotion that's going to bring you, you know, that, that's going to keep you at work later and later and later. And so when you get home, you're going to have less and less time with them and or you're going to have exhausted all your best energy at work. So when you get home, they get the shitty you. It's like, was it worth it? Right. And so there's this like, and it doesn't mean we all have to live in poverty, believe me, but like at least stepping back and saying optimization versus maximization, right? Maximization is like striving towards a singular goal without regards for the unintended consequences or the areas. Look at it this way. Let's look at like, call it willpower or call it motivation or call it time. If we're in a mm-hmm. maximized objective, then every minute I spend on that is coming from somewhere else. That makes sense. It's like, you know, there's, there's five dials we can twist. One of them is time at home. One of them is coaching the kids sports. One of them is time at work. One of them is, I don't know, financial return. And if I just want to dial that financial return, well, those, that's going to cost the other dials. You're, that means you're not coaching soccer this year. That means you're not doing this. So at least stepping back and when we're in line with our objectives, it's a lot easier to do. And, and the funny thing is, Greg, here's the funniest part not unusual that when you optimize and you stand up for your, your true purpose, that better things flood your way. So this, mm-hmm. is the, this is the alignment piece. You know, we're all emitting a signal. 
and that a signal, that signal, think of it like a radio station, that thing is attractive. That radio station is attractive. But if it's a negative signal, when we shut our eyes, it's a negative vibe, we're emitting a negative signal, and guess what we're going to attract? So people tuning into that station, right, that's the type of person we're going to attract. If we're tuned in, you know, we're 98.5, whatever your favorite radio station is, we shut our eyes, it's positive, we're going to attract that energy. So especially in a sales position or something like that, man, a lot of times the irony is you decide to not take the bait, go coach soccer, don't be surprised if six months down the line, you're like, holy cow, I'm better than I even thought I could have been, and I still have this over here. So that's, yeah. that's the importance of alignment, man. No, and I, I mean, so timely, so spot on, um, so fired up as I look down at the counters. We're talking right now going, okay, fired up to get home uh, and, and apply more of this. Because, you know, sometimes you just need a, to, you need a refresher. You know, you need a little positive reinforcement in terms of, okay, is this all right? Is it okay to pursue what feels authentic in there? Is it okay to cut against what, what the grain is or, or what the stereotype or what other people's expectations may or may not be? And I think it's important to put this stuff out there and let other guys and people in general know, hey, that, that vulnerability, that accountability, that authenticity is, is huge out there. And, and you can be successful in whatever it is that you choose to do and how you choose to live. I think if you're, as long as you're not compromising who you really are. Right. And that authenticity is fleeting, you know, and, whether it's social media or maximized objectives or selfishness because we're all in fight or flight, it's bleeding. And that means it's becoming even more attractive. And apart from this, Greg, you know, we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with, right? So mm-hmm. back before I ultimately had created a scenario where I could control that fact, I went to great lengths to at least push the tides in my favor. And what I mean by that is like, if I'm hanging out and I'm not picking on my buddies, but let's say I've got like these five buddies that I go play cards with every week and, you know, or maybe the people at work are, 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 you know, less mindful as you might be or I might be. If those are the people I'm spending my time with, then I'm, I'm averaging, I'm netting their level, right? So imagine you had like the five people that just live the most authentically. The mo- Maybe they're, if your objective was success, Imagine, like, your five people are, like, Zuckerberg, uh, Musk, and uh, Bezos, right? Like, those are the people you hang with. Now look at your life, you know? So it's, like, imagine the best of the best. And, you know, podcasts like this, Greg, like, anybody can put you in their five people now. Because when I'm surrounded by, you know, Susie's stinky pants next to me at work, and I've got, you know, Greg five hours a week in my ear, then all of a sudden I'm bringing him in and I'm pushing her out. Now I'm, I'm coming up to Greg's level, right? And so I think that ultimately we're appreciating, appreciating the fact that we're energetic beings and that we become the average of the five people we spend the most time with and then getting vigilant around controlling that. You mentioned Seamus, who comes over here all the time. Like, that's not on accident. I text him and tell him when I'm working out because I'm trying to bring people in that, that, that yep. adds to my energy. But I'll tell you what, it's like I'm not going to invite, you know, 
somebody that I that I don't align with or that I think takes more energy than the thing than they than they foster. So So true. Podcasts are great and you know, whether it's working from home or, you know, you said taking those weeks to California, it's like you might come back rejuvenated and and more successful. And I, I guess that's one other piece of my past that I didn't share is like when I kinda got the news that, you know, my head was, was kind of going down a scary road. I took off, man. I was like, man, you can't, t- I had a successful personal training company and I was like, I'm out of here. I'm going to go down to the islands and travel and, you know, live like I was dying. Right. And, um, the funny part was, is everyone thought I was crazy. It's like, you're going to give this up and you're going to just go be an Island boy and Island hop and all this jazz. And I'll tell you what I did it invested in myself. Cause I knew my energy was spiraling. Right. I knew I was spite or flight and selfish and worried and scared and fearful. That's not attractive as a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna if I don't leave this business, I'm gonna kill this business. So I took off, spent a bunch of months down on the island, meditating on the beach every morning, going broke. Right when I came back, I opened a, a, my first gym. It was brick and mortar, my business, and within two months, I was crushing it better than I ever was before. So. Sometimes these reboots, uh, they pay dividends. And, and the biggest thing that keeps people where they're at is fear because you can, you can, you can measure the cost of, you can measure the cost of leaving, but you can't measure the gain of leaving or changing something. And mm-hmm. that, that equation is very fearful. But if you do enough introspection, you get really in alignment, you get really aligned with your objectives and your purpose. Very few people that go through that process are utter failures when they take the plunge. When you are doing it out of greed or some other purpose, some other reason, that's when people fail. So that's my belief. I think think it's awesome. Again, uh, and and I can let you just go and and go and go. I want to ask you also, what is Runga exactly? For those out there listening, what is Runga and what are you doing with it? How would how does anybody get involved? Also, yeah, Greg. So what we're really trying to do here is help people embody their highest potential. So when we improve your relationship with oxygen, we improve your relationship with yourself. We put you into an environment of almost impossible failure. So our events are you know weekend events. We've got multi-day events. We do a lot of private corporate stuff these days. So when we bring a group in, there's everything is in this, this flow. Everything is in this jet stream. And it's all designed to kind of connect you with your purpose, connect you with yourself, and help you embody that potential. So what I mean by that is we're going to teach you a lot of self-care practices. We're going to expose you to a lot of what I call free medicine. There's so much free medicine. And guess what? It's going to do more for you than that supplement you just bought. It's going to do more for you. And that injection ever could, you know? And so we expose you, we kind of arm your toolbox. So when you leave, you've got this reliable set of tools to bring yourself into the moment, bring yourself to your best self. You know how to get out of scenarios and into scenarios. And then on top of that, we're going to layer in experts. We're going to layer in some of the best people in the world that teach this stuff, teach you exercise, go through your blood work, maybe hook you up to an IV if that's what you need. Uh, you might get a PEMF treatment, hit the sauna, hit a cold plunge. So, again, it's this environment of impossible failure. But at its core, it, you're going to leave with a toolbox. And it's a toolbox you've got right now, but you don't really know how to use it. And you don't appreciate 
the value of it. And so that's, that's our purpose. And um, ultimately it's a, uh, it's a mitochondrial reboot as it relates to the therapies and things that we, that we offer people. But um, it's been, it's been extremely impactful for folks. And now what we're doing, again, we're doing a lot of small intimate stuff with executive teams uh, and we're looking at ways in 2020 and beyond to kind of bring it to more people. But, in our intimacy, you know, our event that we had about a month ago was only 14 guests and seven, so a two-to-one ratio of experts to guests so that we can truly invest our time in that. Uh, what we're doing now is we do want to bring it to more people, but not at the cost of that impact, right? Mm-hmm. So our events will always be more intimate or more scattered throughout the year uh, because the quality is just so high. But... Um, but we are aiming to bring it to more people, and, and that's something we're really setting out to do for 2020. That is that is awesome. Uh, can cannot wait to attend in the future. Just be a part of anything and everything that you're working on, and help in any way that I can. Uh, you touched on the relationship with oxygen. I'm glad I had that circled as as something to get back to. But I will tell you, this is really a breath, uh, no pun intended, a breath of fresh air to hear from you, to listen to you, to learn from you, for all of us out there. I really appreciate it. Uh, so there's Runga. Mm-hmm. There is your Instagram. Uh, what, uh, what other ways are people find? You do an amazing – you answer so many questions through Instagram. It's just a wealth of, inform, uh, of information uh, so that everybody out there needs to follow you also. What is the Instagram handle for you, too? Yeah. It's Coach Joe D.I. Coach Joe D.I., get on there and follow him because I do every day, and it's amazing what I've learned and what I've picked up on there. Uh, and the new podcast, that, where do we find it? Yeah, so it's on CoachJoeDI.com, and, and thank you so much for the kind words, Greg. They mean the world to me. And uh, if you want to find me, Coach Joe D.I. is, is YouTube, is Instagram, uh, I think Facebook might just be Joe D.I., but anyway, if you type in Coach Joe D.I., I'll probably come up if I've got that platform. And, yeah, Runga is my, you know, passion project that's really growing, and Stacked is the podcast. And that's right on CoachJoeDI.com. You can you can click it. There's about 10 episodes right now that have been out and published, so we're excited to get that off the ground. And, and one thing I would kind of arm your audience with, speaking of free medicine, you know, nature, sunlight, get out into some grass. If you can do a workout out in the grass, that's going to be 10 times better for you. Even if it was a body weight workout, that was half as hard as what you're used to. If you're in the grass and in the sun, it's, it's the right decision. The other thing, if you want to kind of fuel your intuitive side, you want to kind of fuel your relaxed side, you want to get yourself out of that stress response, that fight or flight, keep the mouth closed. And what I mean by that, the mouth is the panic button. So there's, there's from a breathing perspective, if you're at the desk, honestly, grab a popsicle stick, put it between your teeth, keep your lips sealed around it, and breathe through your nose. This will initiate Mother Nature's automatic cascade to help bring you into a more calm place that's going to help you kind of avoid a lot of the reactivity. So if you want to open your mouth and you really want to say something to whoever's next to you, take the popsicle stick out. That'll give you that Victor Frankl pause. You know, between stimulus and response, there's a pause. Well, Taking the popsicle stick out is that pause, and I've seen that help a lot of people. So, uh, and maybe it's something else, but I use a popsicle stick. <laughs> well, this is again, this has been amazing. 
Coach Joe D. Find him, Joe DiStefano. Thank you so much for being on the Midlife Mail podcast. It is a privilege to know you. Congratulations to you and Amelia uh, on the future. And today I cannot uh, thrilled for you and cannot wait for that part of your journey to get started. It's incredible. Next frontier, my man. Thank you so much, Greg. Really enjoyed the time today, and hopefully we'll see you soon. No doubt. All right. Thanks, my friend. Midlife Mail Podcast, Greg Scheinman. If you like what you hear, please give us that thumbs up, that five-star review. Spread the word around. We love bringing guys like Joe on the program to help you all along. Thank you so much. Catch you next week. You've been listening to the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheinman, presented by Ends Group. Ends Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit endsgroup.net. Hey, I am a big believer that everybody has a story. You just need somebody to help you tell it. You know you have a book in you. You know you have that idea for a book that you have wanted to write. You just don't know how. Mascot Books is going to help you do that. Naren Ariel and his team at Mascot Books and Amplify Publishing are going to help you make your dream of becoming an author a reality. Check them out. Look them up. Go see them. Tell them I sent you. And become the author that you've always wanted to be. Mascotbooks.com.